Welcome to the Marketing Science Podcast, the podcast for sales and marketing professionals working within science, engineering, and healthcare. Don't forget to subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite podcast player. Our guest today is Dr. Neil Dando, the president of PitCon. We discuss the importance of global scientific collaboration through 2021 and beyond as they prepare for the first ever fully digital PitCon experience. Can you tell us a little bit about how PitCon first started? Pittsburgh was, for a number of years, a center of innovation. When you look at things like steel industry, aluminum industry, glass industry, headquarters of these companies are all in Pittsburgh. So all those required laboratories for testing materials and quality control and all these kinds of measurement technologies. So PitCon started as a result of efforts to uh, network local scientists in the Pittsburgh area so they could compare notes and keep up to speed with the latest developments in measurement technologies. As a result of, of those efforts in the very early 40s, there became a local meeting of scientists in Pittsburgh on an annual basis, which then in 1950, the first official Pittsburgh conference was held. The name of the Pittsburgh conference is because originally it started in Pittsburgh, but over the years it grew rapidly and we had to move to larger cities with more hotels, larger convention centers to hold a show. But Pittsburgh's still true to its original roots. It's really a forum for people to to share ideas, whether it's instrument manufacturers looking for feedback for how to modify or tailor their equipment or what new needs are out there they need to be looking for, as well as industries that supply the laboratory sciences field. When you look at laboratory sciences in general, that's what all of our breakthroughs are dependent on, is having capable measurement technology out there to develop the data required to know your results of different hypotheses, test hypotheses, to uh, prove that you're moving in the right direction. Just how important is it, especially given the, the events of the previous sort of nine or 10 months, that we continue to collaborate on a global scale, regardless of any of the obstacles thrown in our way? That's actually one of the most amazing benefits of virtual technology is the ability to collaborate on a worldwide scale in real time. So for myself personally, PitCon was the venue through which I would meet exhibitors who were making technologies that were close to the needs of the company I worked for. And we could discuss, hey, how, how can we work together to tailor it further so we can use it personally? What you have is close, not quite. Here's what I need. Here's what I think I need. How can we do things together to modify your equipment? And, and that was quite successful for both parties, both for the company I worked for to be able to get the measurement technology we needed that actually was built for our needs. In, in the exhibitor's case, they had measurement technologies they could sell to other vendors for similar needs. So the beauty of of having virtual technologies available to us now is now we can collaborate on a much broader scale. People who couldn't physically come to PitCon can now come from their office or their home. And the ability to interact at PitCon will now be 24-7 as opposed to just during the show hours in a case of a face-to-face conference. So how have you adapted the online virtual event as opposed to you know the previous in-person style events? Historically, we've always been face-to-face only. This year, major pivot to virtual only. One of the things we realized early on is that we had to abandon the boundaries that we normally have because of a face-to-face show. An example of what I mean is we would start on Saturday normally. The main purpose of that was to allow people to travel over a Saturday to save on airfare. Sometimes it was easier for people to travel over a weekend. Well, that, that's gone now with a virtual show. 
So now we realize we had to focus more on the times people are likely to participate. And of course, that's going to be during the week. So we went from a Saturday to Wednesday event to a Monday to Friday time frame. For exhibitors and presenters, the big change is their need to prepare in advance and also to fit into a scheduling process so that we can pre-record talks and so that we can build out their booths virtually on our platform. All of those things exhibitors didn't have to worry about. They show up with their materials, they build on site. That, that again, all went out the window and now they've got to work through our process to schedule a virtual build out. And same thing with the presenters, having your talks ready a month ahead of time so that we can pre-record them was an adjustment. Yeah, it's a hot topic with the virtual events community right now is about how much content you pre-record versus how much is actually live. So what's the ratio for you guys and and why have you chosen to pre-record content? Every single presentation is pre-recorded where we're changing real time and virtual is in the questions and answers. Because typically in a talk, the way it usually runs is the presenter goes through their entire talk and then questions are held at the end. And that's really where you really want the interaction to be strongest is at the end of a presentation. The other thing we wanted to avoid is any potential technical issues occurring during a presentation, which could either disrupt the presenter themselves or cause an issue in terms of attendees being able to access content. So we're pre-recording everything. We do have talks where the presenter is actually on live during their presentation and after for Q&A. For most of our presentations, we're going to be doing Q&A through a, a chat room right after the presentation. So the presenters will be online live during their talk and available immediately following for the questions, just like they would in a normal show. The, the one thing that, that'll be a positive of the virtual presence is there'll be more opportunity for people to ask questions after the presentation. So the first time people can access a presentation is when it's scheduled in our program. After that, they'll be available on demand. So uh, the biggest benefit of being virtual is it eliminates the conflict of having simultaneous events that you'd like to attend. At a face-to-face show, a struggle for me personally was to try and run between rooms when there's things I wanted to see that are are occurring at the same time. Now you have a choice. The events you want to see in real time, fine. You can you can see them at their scheduled time, but immediately following the scheduled event time, now that content becomes on demand because PitCom will not only be open during the live period, March 8th through 12th, but it will remain open for a total of three months and that content will be available on demand. So It'll be more convenient for the attendee. They can do the things they want to do in real time during the live hours. But in that remaining time, they can still access all of our content, access the expo hall. Any questions will feed through right to the email boxes of either the attendees or the presenters. So it allows for a longer, uh, more flexible option for engagement. Yeah, it's doing right by not only yourselves to make sure that you put your best foot forward, but also the thousands of people sat at home on their home internet connections because they might not be able to even stream live. You remove all of that risk and you enhance the user experience just by pre-recording right? and focusing on diverting some more of the bandwidth towards the engagement in the chat, which is great to see. So speaking of the thousands of people that, that will be attending, what would a typical PitCon attendee look like? Our attendees are actually a wide range of, of individuals. So they range from lab managers, researchers, lab technicians, people doing methods development, people actually doing instrumentation development. We have a lot of entrepreneurs at PitCon. PitCon's historically been a great place to launch your business because we have such a low cost of entry compared to other shows from both attendees and exhibitors. And not only that, in addition to people who actually have their hands in the game, whether they're building equipment, whether they're making support materials such as 
you know, test tubes, petri dishes, chemicals, but also people who are doing software support for lab management, for other aspects of metadata analysis. But also you see people from accounting departments here, people who are responsible for purchasing decisions, wanting to come and negotiate larger scale contracts with manufacturers or figure out support contract terms. It's a great time to have contact with vendors for your specific needs. You may have an instrument, but you want to say, I want a five-year service contract. What can you offer me? Well, great. At a virtual show, access to those people will be even easier. At a physical show, you're dependent on who's actually there, who's physically there. At a virtual show, when you interact with a booth personnel, they'll be able to hook you up with who you need. And in fact, when you do enter a booth, you can even select which of the booth personnel who are actually alive at their computer at this time you want to talk to. One of the tools that the exhibitors will have available to them is set up instantaneous Zoom chats. The fact that you will be able to go right to a Zoom room and see them and have discussions with who you need, that actually allows you to address your issue more quickly than if you were at a face-to-face and setting up a later appointment or a later phone call. We've already touched upon it, but what can an exhibitor expect for features? What can an attendee expect? We touched on the Zoom rooms. What else have we got on show? When you enter a booth, for most of them, you'll see a short video from one of the booth personnel just welcoming you and telling you a little bit about their booth and what they're offering. There will be live chat boxes. So when you get on, you're immediately getting a response because that booth personnel is right there. They're at their computer. They're waiting for your request or inquiry, and they're going to respond to you immediately. There'll be a drop-down list of booth personnel that are on right now. You can pick if you know who you want to talk to. You can just pick them. If you want to interact with someone and they're not available right now, easily, you just state that to the booth personnel. I want to talk to your technical person in support of this equipment. Well, fine. They can hook you up. Even things like a a Zoom meeting, exhibitors will be able to show demonstrations of their equipment through either pre-recorded content, which you can access right from their booth, or from specific live trainings that they wish to do from their booth. So they can set up times during the week and say, hey, we're going to demo this equipment and show you how to troubleshoot it live. Just come to the booth and log in at this time. What's nice in our platform is that Exhibitors can use whatever vehicle they want for connectivity. So they can establish links right from their platform to hook up an attendee with booth personnel in whatever format they want, either through a chat box, through a Zoom room, a Teams room, or any other format. They don't have to work through our list. They can work through their own list of platforms. The other things that are kind of interesting, we were originally supposed to be in in New Orleans. So when you're at the expo, if you're looking out the window, we're going to see elements in New Orleans sprinkled throughout the show. We we actually worked with New Orleans Convention Center staff to get scenes, get other backdrop materials so that it appears like we're physically in New Orleans. Staying on the exhibitor booths, what kinds of content can exhibitors expect to use at the booths? I think you mentioned a video, you've got different meeting functionality. What else as an exhibitor can we bring? For the exhibitor themselves, what's really impressive with our platform is they're going to have their own dashboard. So they can monitor and get a record, an archive of everything that occurs in their booth. Uh, How many people entered? What were they interested in? What did they ask about? So that they can use that to see how successfully have they laid out their booth? How well are they handling interest? So they can actually modify things on the fly during the week. This is real-time data that they can get from their dashboard as to how their booth is being interacted with. So they can see if they want to change up something. From an attendee standpoint, you'll have CTAs. These are elements on the booth that you click on and it causes something to happen, whether it's a video that shows a demo that shows, an inquiry form for a request for quotes. There's a number of actionable content that will be displayed on the booth. You'll see pictures of vendors' equipment. You'll see literature brochure displays like you normally have. Instead of physically picking it up, you're clicking on it. Now they can download right to your computer. 
we've really knocked ourselves out to try to capture every element that's available in a face-to-face show and also make the booths as exciting as possible. You'll see avatars throughout the expo floor. We've really done everything in our power to try and make this virtual experience appear as face-to-face as possible. I know we've had various different Nobel Prize winners and key opinion leaders speak at PitCon in the past. Who's speaking this year and who's been of note that you've really enjoyed listening to over the years past? Over the past years, these people have ranged from Nobel laureates to people who are likely to receive one someday in the future. What we try to do is go between different what we call tracks. Okay, A track would be pharmaceutical, bioanalytical, environmental. So with our invited symposia, we try to level those between our tracks of emphasis and our program so that we're about equally populated for a range of audiences. And last year, we had John Rogers speak. John Rogers is a professor at Northwestern University. He's professor of material science, professor of biomedical engineering, a professor of neurological surgery. So just by that description, it just shows how his work is developing from ground zero micro machine materials that can be either embedded or worn to give real-time feedback about that person. We had uh, Fraser Stoddard. We had W.E. Mourner, two Nobel laureates. Again, people who have developed tools in the case of W. Mourner's case, the development of tools that allow microscopy of ultra, ultra resolution below the limits of what the wavelength of visible light offers. In the case of Fraser Stoddard, making micro machines, machines that are on the scale of a molecule in size. Well, there's a range of uses for these things, things that where movement is required in spaces where you can't put a wire, you can't put something larger. This year, our speaker is Joe Powell, who's a chief scientist at uh, Shell. And so our focus here was energy, right? Because we were supposed to be in New Orleans. New Orleans is an energy state. And uh, one thing Joe's going to talk about is what are the issues facing the energy industry? How are they pivoting to meet forecast demand, forecast needs? That's something we're hearing about, especially now in the United States, about the greater emphasis on green energy coming forward. So that'll be a very interesting talk in terms of looking at the technical issues the industry is facing, how they're pivoting to prepare to address future needs. So what are are some of the the ways that PitCon can facilitate networking and connection between scientists? I know traditionally there's been posters, physical posters. I presume that's something that's still going ahead in the virtual format? As of today, we're still accepting posters. And that's a great way to enter, especially if you're someone for whom English is not a first language, or you just don't like uh, speaking in public. Uh, a poster is a great way to get in our program and also get people aware of your work. So what's really nice there is people can get on, they can email you directly with their questions. PickCon was where I gave my first technical presentation. So it's a great venue to get feedback from people outside your group, whether your group is your lab or you work or your research group or your school. So it's a great way for students to get their work out there, to get a line item on their CV, it's having an external presentation. It's a great way for instrument manufacturers who want to get feedback about new methods to be able to present that in a more relaxed format. So what we'll have is a poster gallery. Posters will be tagged by area of emphasis, and that's the presenter's decision. And of course, there'll be a list of keywords that you can choose from. So people can look for either you, if they know you, they can look for your title, they can look for your tag in our tracks, they can look for your keyword. And that way, at their leisure 24-7, no matter what time zone they're in, 
people can look through the poster gallery, reach out to you with questions. Your email address will be shown right there on the edge of your poster. When I've done posters in the past, the thing you want the most, what does someone think of your work? Is someone else working in a parallel area maybe that you ought to be talking with more going forward? But posters are the most flexible way of getting your work out there and soliciting feedback from people. And again, it'll be the first time in PitCon's history where we actually had a mechanism for people worldwide to participate without having to physically come to the show. But back when you entered your first PitCon, what was your first poster on when you were a PhD candidate? And then more importantly, how did that then impact your journey as a scientist from there? So like most graduate students, my poster was on the latest paper I was working on. Because of going to PitCon as a grad student, that was how I found a position that I stayed in for 30 years. That's what brought me to Pittsburgh. I didn't live in Pittsburgh at the time, but that resulted in a job offer. And one of the things we haven't talked about at all is PitCon has an employment bureau where employers can sign up, uh, offer jobs, and prospective candidates can sign up to look for jobs. We can hook you up with Zoom meeting rooms to interview And and that's exactly how it worked in a face-to-face. You could go learn about jobs and sign up right there for interviews. And that's how I I actually hired a number of people was by using the PitCon's employment service. So again, for me personally, 30-year career solely because of PitCon. And it was because an employer reached out to me because of the work on PitCon. That was how I met my spouse, also a PhD chemist. So for me personally, PitCon is actually a, a way of paying it forward. I can't imagine an organization that's affected me personally more profoundly with a career spouse and a great opportunity to work with an organization that just gives so much back in terms of science awareness and helping teaching. Brilliant. So you mentioned that PitCon's a a not-for-profit and you you reinvest 90% of proceeds back into scientific collaboration and innovation and developing people. Can you share with us a story or two on the kinds of people that you invest in? I'm in two societies, Society for Analytical Chemistry of Pittsburgh and the Spectroscopy Society of Pittsburgh. These two groups of people from them get together every year and put on this show. And what we do is we take well over 90% of any net income we generate, we hand right out the next year in the form of grants, scholarships, outreach. And we really focus on younger people, elementary, middle, high school. It's on a local scale. We do a lot of physical outreach. And what I mean by that is we have an inflatable planetarium. We drive it around to any school within 100 miles of Pittsburgh and, and do shows at schools. And we'll go out for a day or two to a school and put the whole school through a range of different classes about astronomy. On another scale, we do what's called a Faraday lecture. We do those physically, and schools would bring buses there. Now what we're doing is electronically capturing the Faraday lectures. So now we can put them on the society websites to make them available to teachers all over the U.S. and outside the U.S. We try to find lower-cost equipment that allows teachers to do more hands-on science. An example of that is the elementary school science Olympiad program. We buy kits to allow schools to put on their own little science Olympics and run kids through a series of different programs. There's other equipment out there we've identified, such as fold scopes, which are very uh, low-cost microscopes. And we're working to implement programs for teachers to apply for these. Here's a situation where teachers can show kids how to use a small microscope that they can take home and keep afterward. We're very fortunate that There are a range of opportunities out there for ways to boost hands-on science and hopefully create that spark. That's where we really push ourselves is to try and figure out how we can expand our outreach and how we can do it in a 
in a manner that allows us to have the biggest impact as opposed to say a single large grant how can we spread that money around so that we can impact science creativity in as many places as possible excellent yeah very noble pursuit and paying it forward i think it's a great phrase to inspire and spark the imagination of the next generation tell us about the any group discounts for for sort of budding young scientists and and different schools Uh, our marketing team has sent flyers out to uh, universities in all of our mailing lists saying if your students would like to attend and you can assemble a group you know 10 20 30 whatever Pitcon's offering discounts for group enrollments we really want to do as much as we can to enhance science awareness science interest so we really want to get as many students involved as we can so if uh, if your school hasn't received such a thing or you don't know a professor that's got that well fine reach out to us at pitcon.org and, and we'll uh, be happy to discuss that. But what was your strategy for marketing such a, a large virtual event? Things unfolded very, very rapidly in March of this past year. And in the beginning, I wasn't sure how this was going to play out. Then it pretty much became evident this was not going to be something that was going to go away quickly. So we're trying to figure out what our total platform was going to be, whether we would be a hybrid, whether we'd be virtual only. And of course, this complicates the heck out of marketing, right? Because you've got to state what your plan is, and we weren't sure ourselves. So what we've done is back our marketing efforts up closer to the show. What you're seeing now is more communications out in this year, in the front end, and just a few months before the show. We felt people would be very reluctant to commit to a conference at the end of 2020. So we focused on, then we're, we're going to try and make people aware of what we have in the beginning of 2021. So as they're deciding what their path forward is, they can determine if we can fit in with that path, you know, how we can help them. Uh, so a lot of our marketing efforts are really set for their major launches in, in January and February so that we can get exhibitors on board here in January, beginning of February, and get people who wish to give presentations, posters, make them aware of us. Because again, outside the U.S., people who didn't come to PitCon because they felt it was just beyond their means, now they can. So we'd struggle with how to make that happen. So. We are using all of our own marketing channels. Also, we're hoping will benefit us as our partner on our virtual platform is a company by the name of LabRoots, and they have their own marketing group that they're allowing us to contact to make aware of PitCon. So we're hoping by reaching out to people we haven't historically reached out to, I'm hoping we have the most diverse audience from a geographic sense that we've ever had. And then all of that, because we have a longer window, we are, have a live component for five days, but PitCon itself will be open for a total period of three months. People can now have a lot more flexibility to participate at their leisure, at their convenience. One of the biggest issues that the COVID's done actually is caused people to want more interaction. So we're hoping that we can provide that. Do you have any advice for, for anybody, whether they're a first-time attendee or a, a seasoned exhibitor? What advice would you give someone attending virtual PitCon this year? What I would suggest is look at our content during the live period, the 8th through the 12th of March. What I would really try to emphasize during the live period is the technical content you're most interested in, your biggest interest. Make it a point to see those events. If there's something you really want to, you want immediate feedback to a question on, well, that's important that you attend that, that live event if you can. But the bottom line is even there, Attended at your leisure because again, minute a live event is over, it becomes on demand available. So because of your time zone, maybe a talk you wanted to hear today, you just aren't, aren't able to do it. Same sort of concept goes for the exhibitors. If you've got an exhibitor that really caught your interest, you want to have a dialogue with, 
you know, interact with them during that live week. But that said, essentially, you have three months for that interaction. Any question you pose to an exhibitor is going to go right to their booth personnel. You're still going to get that response. And the same thing with the technical program presentations. You know, you have a question, want to establish interaction with a presenter, you'll have the tools for doing that. You just might see a little bit more of a delay than you might do during a live period, but you've now got a a bigger window. So the biggest comment I'd make is you can prioritize the things you really want to get a more immediate feedback from during the live window, but now you've got a much longer period of time to see the things you want and establish connections that you want. It's just not possible on a face-to-face show to have that flexibility. So I'm hoping that this flexibility allows us to involve a far broader range of people geographically than we ever have before. I think it will. Just to wrap things up now, so really excited with the virtual PitCon 2021. How do you see PitCon evolving over the next three to five years? Can you see maybe a a hybrid event between sort of virtual and in-person? The whole conference space has been just hit with a shock and it's evolving so rapidly. We, we will resist to, to the best of our ability abandoning face-to-face shows. But that said, that the best scenario here is hybrid shows. Then now you've got the best of both worlds. You know, there will always be people for whom the travel to an event is just not possible, either financially or logistically. So by doing hybrid events, you can get people who are able to travel, but also open yourself up to people all over the world who wish to participate. One thing we're kind of fortunate with is this year forced us to be virtual only so we could learn terms of verbiage, the timelines required to set up a virtual show. I'm glad we were able to focus on only that so that going forward, if we elect to offer hybrid platforms, we'll be far better positioned to do that. It would have been a much greater challenge for us to do hybrid shows if our first hybrid had been just that, where we're doing a face-to-face and a hybrid. So if I you know, had to predict, my prediction will be hybrid shows are truly the way to go just because of the outreach you have. So this show will tell us if we are getting significant interest from groups that just physically can't come to pick on. If we see that input for us, that will is likely to be our decision. I'm sure other shows will look at it exactly the same way, whether they put on face-to-face last year or not. Every show is looking for how they can involve the most people, and a hybrid platform is clearly the best solution, at least at this time. All right. Thank you very much, Neil. I'm looking forward to, to PitCon, which is on March the 8th till March the 12th. That's Monday to Friday. And looking forward to, to getting in there and, and uh, setting up a booth and trying out all the different features and functions. Yeah, thank you very much. I've enjoyed the, the interview. Big thank you to Neil there for sharing what goes on behind the scenes at PitCon and the tremendous amount of work they've done to continue in the mission of scientific collaboration. Don't forget to subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts or your favourite podcast player. We'll be back again next week with more fascinating insights from the Marketing Science Podcast. Podcast.